Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, January 15th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, more juicy details about the Galaxy S20 lineup. Google Smart Lock lets you do two-factor authentication on your iPhone. Proof that no-code development is the new hotness. Why do the feds even need Apple to unlock those iPhones? And Jack Dorsey says we are never, ever, ever going to get an edit tweet button. Probably. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. I have to admit, I had not been familiar with XDA Developers, a site that I discovered this week, basically. But they've been all over the leaks for the new Galaxy S20 lineup. And they're back today with an actual hands-on with the new device, confirming, among other things, a 120 hertz 3200 by 1440 display at a new 20 by 9 aspect ratio, an ultrasonic under-the-display fingerprint scanner, and no headphone jack. Quote, the Galaxy S20 Plus is also the first S-series flagship without a headphone jack. Our source was able to confirm to us that it does come with the AKG USB Type-C earbuds. These are likely the same as the earbuds that came with the Galaxy Note 10. They were also able to confirm that the Galaxy S20 Plus will come with a super-fast charger in the box. The Galaxy S20 Plus will support 25-watt fast charging with the same system as the Note 10. The Galaxy S20 Plus is a massive device, coming in much taller than the Galaxy S10 Plus. A taller aspect ratio on a larger display ends up making the phone a lot more comfortable to hold and use. It all around ends up looking more modern as well. All of the Galaxy S20 series, the Galaxy S20, S20 Plus, and S20 Ultra, will come in this aspect ratio and display resolution. That means the rumored 6.3-inch and 6.9-inch displays on the Galaxy S20 and Galaxy S20 Ultra are unlikely to feel unwieldy, end quote. And as for that fingerprint scanner, quoting again, we were able to confirm this was an ultrasonic scanner and not an optical scanner by checking if the scanner area lights up, as that is the primary visual difference between the two and the easiest way to tell the two technologies apart. In the case of an optical fingerprint scanner, the scanner area on the display is lit up brightly while an ultrasonic sensor needs no light for its functioning. The Galaxy S20 Plus does not light up the fingerprint area other than the display's regular brightness levels, which essentially confirms the ultrasonic sensor, end quote. Other details from other tipsters that may or may not be confirmed. The S20 Ultra 5G version might be getting a 108-megapixel main camera with the periscope camera feature, that will allow 100x hybrid zoom, which pretty impressive if it turns out to be true. The Google Smart Lock app on iOS now leverages Apple's secure enclave to enable the iPhone to be used as a physical two-factor authentication key. This means you can now sign in to Google Apps via Chrome on nearby devices 
an ability that all Android 7 and greater devices got last year. Quoting 9to5Google, A built-in phone security key differs from the Google Prompt, though both essentially share the same UI. The latter push-based approach is found in the Google Search app and Gmail, while today's announcement is more akin to a physical USB-C slash lightning key in terms of being resistant to phishing attempts and verifying who you are. Your phone security key needs to be physically near, within Bluetooth range, the device that wants to log in. The login prompt is not just being sent over an internet connection. Anytime users enter a Google account username and password, they'll be prompted to open Smart Lock on their nearby iPhone to confirm a sign-in. There's also the option to cancel with, no, it's not me. This only works when signing into Google with Chrome, while Bluetooth on both the desktop computer and the phone need to be enabled as the devices are locally communicating the confirmation request and verification. After installing the update, you're prompted to select an account to set up your phone's built-in security key. Smart Lock was previously just used for allowing Bluetooth security keys as well as generating one-time security codes. Google also refreshed the app's design to make it easier to use with version 1.6, end quote. Last night in a tweet, President Trump criticized Apple for refusing to unlock the phones of criminals like the alleged Pensacola shooter, the case we talked about yesterday, quoting the president. We are helping Apple all the time on trade and so many other issues, and yet they refuse to unlock phones used by killers, drug dealers, and other violent criminal elements. They will have to step up to the plate and help our great country now make America great again, end quote. Interestingly, the New York Times is reporting that Apple is gearing up for a legal fight with the Department of Justice over this case or some similar case at a future date. The reason for this being... The last time Apple tangled with the feds over this issue surrounding the San Bernardino shooting, nothing was actually legally resolved because, as we said yesterday, the FBI dropped the case once they were able to get into the phone in question on their own. Quote, executives at Apple have been surprised by the case's quick escalation, said people familiar with the company who were not authorized to speak publicly. And there is frustration and skepticism among some on the Apple team working on the issue that the Justice Department hasn't spent enough time trying to get into the phones with third-party tools, said one person with knowledge of the matter. Bruce Sewell, Apple's former general counsel who helped lead the company's response to the San Bernardino case, said in an interview last year that Mr. Cook had staked his reputation on the stance. Had Apple's board not agreed with the position, Mr. Cook was prepared to resign, Mr. Sewell said. Mr. Cook's small team at Apple is now aiming to steer the current situation toward an outside resolution that doesn't involve the company breaking its own security, even as it prepares for a potential legal battle over the issue, said the people with knowledge of the thinking, end quote. So yes, it is interesting that the Pensacola gunman's phones were an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7 Plus, which are pretty old iPhones and which have been proven to be break intoable by companies like Celebrite and Grayshift for a while now. In fact, the 5 is older than the device used in the San Bernardino case. So it's unclear as to why the DOJ is making noise about Apple opening the phones for them when, in theory, there should be tools readily available that can do the unlocking right now. No-code app development is the new hotness in certain circles, and this was reinforced today by the news that Google has acquired no-code app development platform AppSheet. AppSheet had raised around $19 million to date. 
No word on the acquisition price, though. And the good news is, it's not going to be going away. The plan is to integrate AppSheet into Google Cloud itself, quoting VentureBeat. In a nutshell, AppSheet allows developers without extensive programming knowledge to collect rich data, e.g. geographic data and indoor location data, imbue apps with AI, or automatically move data. The platform can collect data from any device, instantly syncing to the original data source, and it performs analyses in real time using custom-built dashboards and automatic reports. Apps created using AppSheet can capture images, log locations, scan barcodes, deliver notifications, generate reports, send emails, accept signatures, work offline, install across devices, and apply logic. Plus, they're able to update and maintain existing datasets while respecting security and organization policies. More than 200,000 apps have been deployed using AppSheet's development suite, and over 18,000 active app creators build apps with AppSheet each month." When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Although, something something, Google does like to sunset products eventually, even after high-profile acquisitions. Hopefully that won't happen to AppSheet anytime soon, but it has happened to Hipmunk. The hotel and flight search service says it is shutting down permanently on January 23rd, a bit over three years since it was acquired by SAP Concur. Quoting TechCrunch, Founded by Adam J. Goldstein and Steve Spez Huffman, Hipmunk was one of the first well-made meta-search travel sites. It scrounged up flights and hotels, car rentals, etc. from across myriad services like Expedia, Priceline, etc., presenting all the times slash prices in one big skimmable interface, end quote. Concur is the travel and expense platform that SAP acquired in 2014 for $8.3 billion, and Hipmunk had been 
integrated into that, at least until later this month. Steve Huffman, you might know better as Spez, because that's his handle on Reddit, which he was also the co-founder of and current CEO of. I've been hearing for a few months now that last year was a banner year for the European startup scene, and Crunchbase News has delivered some hard numbers that seem to bear that out. European startups raised over $36 billion from venture capitalists in 2019, up 25% from 2018 to reach a five-year high, and more than doubling the amount raised in 2015. Quote, According to Crunchbase data, over $122 billion has been invested in European startups across 48 countries in the last five years. Strong European growth in 2019 contrasts with our reporting on overall global venture, which is down year over year, largely based on China late-stage fundings slowing down in 2019. For the U.S. and Canada, invested dollars are projected to grow at a small percentage. It is worth noting that 2018 was a peak for global venture funding over the last 10 years and grew 47% year-over-year from 2017 to 2018. Northern Europe, which Crunchbase News defines as including the United Kingdom, Nordic countries, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, pulled in the majority of that amount, $18.63 billion to be exact. The UK can take credit for that, as it led the region in deal and dollar volume for the past year. Sweden also part of Northern Europe, is the fourth largest country for European funding rounds in 2019. Western Europe raised $14.9 billion in 2019. Western Europe includes Germany, France, and Switzerland, three countries in the top six by funding counts and amounts. Eastern and Southern Europe, which includes Spain in the top six, Italy and Poland, raised $2.5 billion in funding in 2019." End quote. Check in now with the streaming wars. Disney Plus does indeed seem to be the blockbuster hit that the company was telegraphing recently, with Sensor Tower reporting that the Disney Plus app was the most downloaded app in the U.S. in Q4 of 2019. Downloaded more than 30 million times, more than double the second most downloaded app, TikTok. Quoting TechCrunch, These total downloads were counted across both the Apple App Store and Google Play, with the App Store accounting for over 18 million of the Disney Plus downloads and Google Play accounting for more than 12 million. This allowed the new streaming app to become the most downloaded app in the App Store and Google Play individually, in addition to being the most downloaded app overall in the quarter. On the App Store, Disney Plus beat out YouTube and TikTok for the number one spot after YouTube held the top position for the past four quarters. The app also hit a notable milestone on Google Play as no other app had surpassed 10 million in the U.S. downloads on Google Play in a quarter since Facebook Messenger did it back in 2017, end quote. Now, of course, downloads do not equal signups. But this might be telling, quoting again, In terms of revenue, Disney Plus grossed more than $50 million in its first 30 days, beating out other subscription video-on-demand rivals like HBO Now and Showtime. In December, Disney Plus also generated more U.S. revenue than HBO Now had in its best month, including during revenue spikes it saw during the final season of Game of Thrones, end quote. Now, also, signups don't mean people will be sticking around. Maybe everybody will give Disney Plus a try and then churn out. But I'm sort of running out of caveats here. All signs point to Disney Plus being a success thus far. 
Finally today, Jack Dorsey did one of those video Q&As that Wired Magazine likes to do now and then. And almost right off the bat, Jack answered the question that tweeps everywhere have been screaming from the rooftops about for years. Will we ever get a tweet edit button? You know, for spelling mistakes and the like, at the very least. Well, hate to break it to y'all, according to Jack, it's never going to happen. Probably. I'll let Jack himself explain. At Tazy Doris asks, IO Twitter, can we get that edit button in 2020? The answer is no. The reason there's no edit button, there hasn't been an edit button traditionally, is we started as a SMS text messaging service. So as you all know, when you send a text, you can't really take it back. We wanted to preserve that vibe and that feeling uh, in the early days. But now, you know, we have an app and a lot of people are using us on the web. And there's some issues with edit that we can we can solve. Um, one is you might send a tweet and then someone might retweet that and then an hour later you completely change the content of that tweet and that person that retweeted the original tweet is now retweeting and rebroadcasting something completely different. So that's something to watch out for. A lot of people want it because they want to fix a quick spelling error or a broken link or whatnot. And that's great. We've considered a one minute window or a 30 second window to correct something, but that also means that we have to delay sending that tweet out because once it's out, people see it. So these are all the considerations. It's just work, but we'll probably never do it. So that is a long and short way of saying, please stop bugging us about this, please. Though honestly, that 60 second window sort of sounds like a completely reasonable way to do it. Somehow I never see the spelling errors in my tweets until I've actually hit send. Oh well. Nothing pithy for you all today, so I'll just leave you with the be excellent to yourselves and each other sign-off. Talk to you tomorrow.